Take out your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. We are in a series that we embarked on last fall and will take us through the entire part of this year. It's the story of salvation, really. We're going through the entire Gospel of Luke. And uh, this morning, we find ourselves in the end of the third chapter. Would you open your Bible to Luke chapter 3? And uh, what we're about to read this morning, I would dare say, is probably the most neglected passage in the entire gospel. Um, One pastor said it's rarely read and seldom preached, and I agree with that. In fact, even this week, as I opened up my commentaries to this passage of Scripture, they were no help, as, uh, as some of them did not include this passage at all, and, and some of them gave about a two-sentence description and just moved forward. Nevertheless, here we are. Luke chapter 3, uh, pick up with me in verse 21. You stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word out of reverence for the Word of God. And follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son as was supposed of Joseph the son of Heli, the son of Matit, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Seman, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Johan, the son of Radish, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kasim, the son of Adamem, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, that's a good one, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Matta, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Joham, the son of Elikim, the son of Mela, the son of Mena, the son of Matana, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obad, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Neshon, the son of Abinadab, the son of Adam, Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Herzon, the son of Perez, the son of Judah the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Tetra, the son of Nahor, the son of Surag, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphax, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mehalel, the son of Canaan, the sons of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Do you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. As we turn in this passage, which seems rather obscure to us, help us as we uh, consider it to understand, Lord, why your spirit has given it to us. Lord, help us to understand why it is in the Bible and even more so, Lord, the significance 
that stands behind it. So we ask, Lord, this morning that your spirit would move in our midst. We ask that, Lord, I ask this morning that you would fill me. Lord, I pray that you would empty me of all of me and that, Lord, you would fill me with your spirit, Lord, to boldly declare your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. You can be seated. Well, what I read for you this morning was a rather long list. I, I, I actually could almost hear some of you as we were reading it say to yourself, is he really going to read all of that? It's a long list. It is 77 names in all. And yes, I counted them. And together, they make up for us a genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is really through this list of names that we are given a glimpse into the family tree of Jesus Christ. You say, why in the world are we considering this? And why is it in here? Well, to answer your first question, it's because we're in a series entitled The Story of Salvation. And we're walking week by week through the entire Gospel of Luke. And this just happens to be the next passage in which we are studying. And can I remind you that this is the Word of God? The Bible tells us and reveals to us that this is the precious Word of God. Even the sections that you and I may not so quickly understand. Even the sections that, for probably many of us, I dare say, in your personal Bible reading, when you come to a section like this, you're tempted just to skip over the entire chapter. But it is the precious Word of God. It is God's Word given to us by inspiration, and therefore, because of that, the Scriptures say it is profitable for you and I. Paul tells Timothy, all Scripture, turn to your neighbor and tell him all all, like that's all of it, all the sections, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so, um, and it's profitable for all these things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, we cannot really uh, unpack the significance of the life of Jesus of Nazareth in the Gospel of Luke until we get a picture of where Jesus stands in relation to all the rest of Scripture. It's really in seeing Jesus in light of the big picture and the grand narrative of Scripture that we can understand his significance. And, and, and furthermore, you might be asking yourself, well, then why is it here? Why is it in here? And really, I think as you ask that, you kind of echo a question that was raised by Pontius Pilate to Jesus in John 19, where Pilate said to Christ, he said, where are you from? You see, Pilate understood, as we should this morning as we've gathered, that Jesus doesn't just magically appear out of nowhere in the story. In fact, no, Jesus has a family tree. In fact, um, today, people are so fascinated with family trees. Um, I don't know about you, how many, how many of you spend a little bit of time uh, dabbling with ancestry, dabbling with a little bit of uh, geological information? Anybody like that? Uh, yeah, you, you want to know? You, you want to know? And, and, and there's a lot of rising interest today in this whole thing of ancestry. 
And certainly with the rise of technology, we have like this whole new world open to us in terms of information we can learn about ourselves. I mean, we can just submit a piece of DNA about us. And then I don't know how it all works, but somehow in this massive, you know, computer system, it just spits out to you your family of origin. Like, like it'll tell you like all the elements of what you have been made up of. And Jesus doesn't just show up on the scene out of nowhere. Jesus is flesh and blood. And as such, Jesus has a family tree. Jesus has a family of origin. You know, and some of us, we delve into our family of origin just merely out of curiosity, you know? Like, we, we, we want to see if there's someone famous in our family of origin. Or, or, or some of us want to find out if someone in our family was tied into this really significant event and did something rather significant with their life. And some of us have looked into our family trees and have uncovered things that we wish weren't in there. You know, some people delve into this whole thing of ancestry merely because of curiosity. Others, though, I think delve into it because of a, a deeper psychological desire to understand who they are. It's kind of this idea of discovering themselves and somehow if they can understand where they came from and somehow put together the connections in their life of, of, of who they are and what they're tied to, that, that somehow it'll help them have a sense of belonging in this big world. And for many of us, even in our lives today, as we think about where we are and where we have come from, I would dare say most of us tend to identify ourselves based off of our accomplishments, of what we've accomplished in our life. I mean, just think about how someone introduces themselves. It often is, hey, my name is Aaron, and this is what I what? do you know it's like this is my job and or or maybe we tell somebody what we've accomplished in our life we we tell people where we live you know i'm from Catawba, Virginia. I mean, this is like how we, this is how we get to know people, even in a group setting. You know, everybody, tell us three things about yourself. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and what do you do? Like, that's just how we understand our connection to one another. And yet, what do we discover? In Bible times, it was your family of origin that mattered. And it was your family of origin, not just for curiosity's sake and not to uncover a sense of belonging and where you find yourself in this big world. But your, but your genealogy determined a number of things. Let me give them to you. It determined the property you owned. It determined the inheritance you would receive. It determined the taxes you may owe. It determined uh, even things like what occupations you could hold. And most importantly, it determined for every person any claim to royalty that they may have possessed. And you say, well, what does that matter? Well, it's absolutely essential then. As we've turned in our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 3, that it is absolutely essential that in light of Jesus Christ, we discover something about his genealogy. Because see, here's the reality. If the Messiah is ever going to sit on the throne of David, and if the Messiah is ever going to uh, be fully embraced by someone like whom Luke is writing to here, the most excellent Theophilus, then his ancestry of who he is must be in line. And so notice, begin in your Bible with me in verse 23. So the Bible begins this way in verse 23, that following the baptism of Jesus by John in the Jordan River, we're told that Jesus began his ministry being about 30 years of age. So up until this moment, 
and the life of Christ, Jesus had been born and by and large had been living his life in, in, largely in obscurity. Uh, Jesus is growing up in, in a backside of a rural town known as Nazareth. In fact, someone in the gospel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus, for large part, the majority of his life, is living in obscurity, working in his father's business. His father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And so more than likely, Jesus is entering into that business as well. And it's the event of Christ's baptism that launches his ministry. And Jesus now, he goes being 30 years of age. You say, why does it matter that Jesus is 30 years of age? Because in that culture, it really wasn't until you were 30 that you held any type of a position of authority. You'd, you had no sense of, 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 of recognition in a culture until you were 30 years of age. And so here Jesus now begins his ministry, what the Father had sent him to do, verse 23, and being about 30 years of age. And then notice, here it is, being the son as was what? Supposed of Joseph. Now, if, if you want a title for the message this morning, it could very simply just be this. It's not that complicated. <laughs> Turn your neighbor and tell him, it's not that complicated. But if you were to read the commentaries and some of the articles I read this week, you would disagree with that statement. Because people have made this really complicated. Really complicated. You say, why is it complicated? Will you tell me that? I'll try it again. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Because when you compare the names in Luke's genealogy to that in the Gospel of Matthew, the names are not slightly different. They are significantly different. And, and so much so that when you read the list at first glance of these genealogies, as was supposed of Joseph, you're saying, that looks like a contradiction in the Bible to me, if I've ever seen one. I mean, those things aren't lining up at all, yet with closer examination, what you discover is that they're not the same genealogy. In fact, they're two separate genealogies. Turn to your neighbor and tell them there's two of them. There's two of them. Luke traces his genealogy, notice with me, we're not going to read every name again, but he traces it all the way, notice in verse 31, he traces his genealogy to the son of Nathan, the son of whom? David. Who was David? King. We know David is king. And so Luke is tracing this genealogy of Christ to Nathan, the son of David. This was King David's third son born to uh, him by Bathsheba. But Matthew's genealogy follows a rather different trail. Matthew's genealogy also goes back to King David, but it doesn't go through his son Nathan. It goes through his son Solomon. Now look right up here. Y'all are very intelligent Bible students. How could that be? Hey, Jesus had a mother and Jesus had a father. And so, yeah, yeah. What do we have here? We have two different lines. One line is tracing a genealogy to Nathan and then King David. Another is tracing a genealogy to Solomon and then King David. And you'll, what you'll find is that from David all the way to Abraham, the genealogies are completely identical. So you say, well, how can that be? Well, Jesus has two parents, Mary and Joseph. 
Matthew's gospel is following Joseph. And that makes sense to us, right? Because when you open up your Bible, so much of the book of Matthew is filled with Jesus being the uh, 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 appointed king, the one who is to come. The, the, the genealogy traces to this kingly line of David and the whole story of the book of Matthew, remember, centering on Joseph. That's where Joseph hears about the angel. That's where, that's where Joseph gets the vision to go down to Egypt. It's where, it's where Joseph's genealogy is laid out for us. But Luke's gospel is not following Joseph's genealogy. Who's it following? You're with me, Mary. It's following Mary's genealogy. Yet there's no women named here. Why is that? Because in Bible times, the way you would trace these genealogy was not through a female, but through a male. And notice, notice this is how the genealogy is playing out. Now listen, they both have a royal line. They both go back to David. But now what do we have here before us? We're looking at verse 23 in our Bible through verse 38, and we have literally 75 names not counting the son of Joseph and the son of God, which is given for us in verse 38. Now, you will be so thankful to know we are not going to have the time to look at every one of these. Actually, in fact, we don't even have the reason, I think, to unmine and unearth all that could be learned from these characters. Because really, that's not the purpose of this genealogy. You say, well, what is the purpose of it for? I'm glad you asked. Four things, four things. Let me give them to you. If you're taking notes, jot these down. What is the purpose of this genealogy? Number one, to highlight Christ's humanity. To highlight Christ's humanity. Look, we don't have to read through that list again before you start remembering some of those names. Any, any, was there any names that you, that you recognized and far less could, 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 could pronounce? <laughs> Any of them? What, what, what were some names? Shout them out to me. What are some names you know? Who? Nathan. What else? Jacob. Oh, what do, we, what do we know about Jacob? He was a rather character. Oh, yeah, we have some great things in his life. He wrestled with God. He, he's the father of the Jewish people. But what else about Jacob do we know? He's a usurper. He's a deceiver. I mean, we can read other names. David. David just jumps out the page, and there's, there's so much about the life of David we could understand. There's so many things that David did. So uh, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. The, the, the Bible says that, that, that David was, was this faithful shepherd. I mean, so many of the Psalms that, that we read, and we can identify uh, a, 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 an understanding of how someone else has related to God. The, 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 the Psalms speak so deeply to us, and yet there are things about the life of David that are rather... Um, something we would not idolize. I mean, he basically raped a woman and had her husband murdered. And yet here he is in this genealogy. We, we discover in this passage, you say, why is this here? Because in one way, looking at this list is in some ways kind of incredibly comforting. Because as one pastor put it, God is not dealing with actual people. He, God is dealing with actual people. He's not dealing with ideal people. Aren't you thankful that God's not dealing with ideal people? Gee, that's great news because, because I'm not an ideal person. And the person you're sitting right next to, look at them this morning. They're not an ideal person either. 
In fact, all of us in our life, there's things about our life that would be well to be remembered. And as, and, as, and as we have a list like this in a genealogy and we think back through the generations, we can say, wow, that was something to be praised. That was something amazing. But, but yet there's other aspects of our life, ones that we, we would rather not be written down for all the centuries. For people to know just how human size we really are. You see, this passage highlights for us Christ's humanity. Notice verse 38. Look in your Bible. Jesus is a son of Adam. And that matters because like Adam, Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Just like Adam, Jesus experienced suffering and loss. Jesus was reviled. In fact, Jesus even faced the pain of facing death. Jesus was human in all aspects. Jesus was fully God and fully man. But unlike the first Adam, the last Adam did what the first Adam failed to do. And that is Jesus faithfully obeyed the will of his father perfectly. Have any of you obeyed God perfectly in all things? No. The Bible says if we say that we have, we're a liar (laughs) and we've deceived ourselves. You see, as you read this list, And all of these, I mean, we we could just go on. Really, we could go on. And you're like, wow, what a messed up family tree. (laughs) I mean, what a mess. In fact, just go back in your family tree. (laughs) Not too different, is it? Pretty messy. How many say there's some mess in my family tree? Can I see your hand? (laughs) So yeah, Christ had a messed up family tree, but here it is. Even more so. What an amazing story of grace. In fact, what a tree of grace that these people who stand out in the genealogy as ones that we would say, oh, not sure about that. Aren't you thankful that today, those of us who are followers of Christ, um, a lot of Christ's followers look a lot like some of his forebears, <laughs> right? A lot of mess. But that's good to know because as we look at this passage, what are we reminded with? We're reminded that it, that it highlights for us the humanity of Christ, that Jesus was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. And that speaks to then the second thing in that it highlights his divinity. Verse 38, notice in the end of your, the passage, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of whom? God. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And Adam was the son of God in creation. He was given, the Bible says, the image of God. He was made in the image of God. And yet how, here comes Christ. Christ comes on the scene and he comes uh, not marred after the fall like the first Adam, but Christ comes fully um, bearing this image completely of God. The Bible says he was the exact imprint of the Father's nature. The Bible, the Bible's helping us see that when we see Jesus in the Gospels, something stands out about Christ because, because he's not like us. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not like us. I mean, he is like us in the sense that he is fully man, but he's also fully God. He's distinctly different. He's holy, and these, the, the, the nature of Christ being fully man and fully God, Jesus came in the world 
fully pleasing the Father. Look back in your Bible at his baptism, verse 22. Look at verse 22. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, and with you I am what? Well pleased. Jesus, Jesus highlights for us this passage, really highlights the humanity of Christ. It highlights the deity of Christ. But thirdly, what does it do? It highlights his nationality. Do you see it there? Verse 34, find it in your Bible. He is the son of Abraham. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. You realize when God made a promise to this guy named Abraham, that God calls out Abraham, and he says to Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to this man and he makes him this promise to his seed. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring, Paul says in Galatians. And it does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but rather to one and to your offspring who is Christ. You see, when God comes to this guy named Abraham, God comes to Abraham and he tells Abraham, he says, go from your country and from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And here's the promise. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What do we have here as we're reading this genealogy and we discover that Jesus Christ is, is the son of Abraham? We discover that God is faithful to keep his promises. God is, God is doing here what he said he would do 2,000 years earlier. And my, isn't that encouraging to know that God will always be faithful to himself and yet at the same time, God's timetable is not always like what we want it to be. It's like what Jessica's saying this morning. Did that resonate with any of you? That like even, in, when, even when God doesn't or even when we think that God's not, yet in those moments, he's still true. He's still faithful. And that's because God's timetable is not like our timetable. And some of us have gotten so frustrated and impatient with God because we think he's wrong. And somehow his timetable is mistaken. And God is never late. And he is always faithful. 2,000 years later? You think anybody was raising a question in 2,000 years of the faithfulness of God? I mean, he promised this Messiah, this one who would come. Centuries come, centuries go. He's not there yet. What about those 400 years of silence? What about the 400 years when there was no prophet in Israel? And there was no new revelation and no new word. Do you think anybody started to question whether or not God was faithful? Certainly. But was he? Yeah, he was faithful. What does this mean for you and I? Man, we can see this verse and we can remember that God's a covenant promise-keeping God. And there are things that God has promised us who are in Christ. The Bible says you and I are heirs with Christ that the inheritance of Christ is our inheritance, that, that the, the, the promises of God are always true. I love, I love how Dylan Scaglione says it. He says, the promises of God are always bright. You know, it, it, God is always true, but yet sometimes in our life, we go through seasons where we question whether or not God is true. Yet, the Bible says, in the fullness of time, 
God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons, sons and daughters of God. How amazing is that? Well, what does all this speak to? It speaks to his humanity, speaks to his divinity, speaks to his nationality, and fourthly and finally this morning, what do we discover? It highlights Christ's royalty. As we said earlier, Jesus is the son of David. You know, in the life of Christ, surely we'll find this as we continue in our journey in the Gospel of Luke. There's all kinds of people in the Gospels who were constantly wanting to discredit Jesus Christ. Someone tell me, who were some of those people that were constantly just on the lookout to trap Jesus? Pharisees, the Sadducees, the what, Satan, the, uh, the, the high priest. I mean, there was all kinds of people wanting to trip up Jesus. And spe- specifically to show how he was not the Messiah. Now, let me ask you this question. This, this genealogy of Jesus tells us that he has royal, royalty in his blood. He is, he is the son of Nathan, the son of David. Now, let me ask you, in Bible times, Jewish people kept scrupulous uh, notes. They, they, would have, they would have had such detailed genealogies. And when Jesus started his public ministry, being 30 years of age and and going around the region of Galilee and proclaiming to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, do you not think that some of the religious leaders like the Pharisees and Sadducees would have made a little trip down to the city of Bethlehem and pulled out the archives and were like, let's find out really who this guy is? I'm certain they probably did. And you know what? They found out, oh, he is of the lineage of David. In fact, both ways, one through Solomon, one through Nathan. In fact, you go through the whole Gospels, never once is Jesus' royalty ever in question. Never asked. Why? Because this this genealogy reveals to us that, that he has the right to sit on the throne of David. You say, why is this all significant? Because when Jesus entered in to Jerusalem the week there of his crucifixion, you remember as the crowds would cry out, Hosanna! to the son of David, because he who comes, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. He is the rightful king. You see, all through the Old Testament, we're looking for the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king, one who would meet all of the criteria, and Jesus does. In fact, that's why Luke is laying all of this out for us. In fact, he's laying it out because, remember, he's talking to this guy by the name of Theophilus. And so that Theophilus would fully embrace Christ for who he claimed to be, Luke wanted to give him a detailed record. And he said, hey, this is who Jesus is, and look at how it connects, and look at the faithfulness of God. And yeah, our world's in the middle of a mess, and we've come through centuries of mess, but this guy's different. Jesus is different. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in fact, we're going to go through the rest of the Gospel of Luke and discover just how God he is and just how miraculous he is. What did Jesus come to do? He came, Luke says, to seek and to save that which is lost. 
I think it's good news this morning to be reminded that Christ came and the way in which he came is he came through this lineage that was quite a mess. And he's come to redeem people out of their mess. And he's brought us in to a, a family, a new family in Christ and one that is not tainted or corrupted. One day that when we stand before God and what he has begun in us, that he will complete on that day and will be ushered into a family with no mess. Isn't that good news? Any of you long for that? I'm kind of ready for it to get here. <laughs> you know? Yet in the meantime, may God help us to be faithful in seeing that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. And Jesus has now commissioned you and I. As the Father sent Christ, so Christ is sending you and I. He's sending you and I into a world that is desperately in need of rescuing. He's, he's coming to us and sending us out to people that are in all forms of bondage and slavery and, and to find freedom in Christ and to find something different about this one who is a son of Joseph, but, but, but he, is, he is the son of Adam. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of God. And there is life and forgiveness in his name. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that today it is the mighty name of Jesus that breaks every stronghold in our life. We're thankful this morning that, Father, there is, as we have sung recently in our church, there is one who is worthy. There is one who has fulfilled your righteous demands. There is one who, in every point, perfectly obeyed you, the Father. Lord, in his life, Jesus showed us what true love is. Herein is love, not that you loved So what does that mean for you today? What does that mean for you to, to see love displayed in Christ? This one who would come and enter into this mess. Take upon all of that ancestry and all of that lineage. And do what you could not do for yourself. The Bible tells us there is life in his name. There's freedom in his name. You know, I don't know where you've been this week, but I've been freshly reminded that um, our life is a warfare. Every day of our life is a struggle. But the, but the message of the gospel is this message of grace and love and forgiveness. Uh, Father, we pray your spirit would speak to our hearts. Challenge us each in our point this morning that we need to be reminded of. And help us, Lord, as we take a new step today. Um, continue in, in this gospel to see more of what you have come to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, would you stand to your feet this morning? My, there's so many people. Some prayer cards this morning. Would you come and hold up a brother or sister in our church? who's requested prayer, would you come and intercede for them to this one who is worthy? The King of kings and Lord of lords. 
He has died, risen, and ascended to the Father. And because of Christ, you and I now have access to this God. Would you come? Come, pray for someone in our church this morning. Maybe God's burdened your heart with something from the message today. Come and bear that to the Lord. Take some moments in this invitation to think about your own life. Man, your life's such a mess, isn't it? Yet Christ loves you. He's come to save you. And he's come to forgive you of all unrighteousness, the Bible says. Just thank the Lord for saving you. Thank him for enduring such hostility against himself that Jesus goes to the point of the cross shedding his blood for you and I. Give him praise. He's worthy of every bit of our praise this morning. Father, we thank you for all you've done for us in Christ. Thank you for all that you are making new. And Lord, in faith, we look forward to the day when this salvation that you have begun in our lives will be complete. We give you all praise and glory for it. You are worthy. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and you are the great shepherd of your church. We give you praise in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen.